From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello, my name is Alyssa Carroll, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Rachel, Whitney, Maya, Alethea, Elena, Aaron, Katoras, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Katarina, Teresa, Sophie, Nanette, Emma, Emily, Galen, Bree, David, John, and my spicy girl, Judy. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patrons so that I can bring you more of what you crave. Leonardo Cinciulli was born on April 18th, 1894 in Montella, Italy. So let's get into some history for that time. This year, the Olympic Games were recreated after being abandoned for 1,500 years. The hope was to foster international communication and peace through the games. In India, Gandhi realized that what the country really needed was a permanent organization to protect their culture and interests. The new organization was called the Natal Indian Congress. Harry Houdini, the legendary magician and escape artist, married Wilhelmina Beatrice Rayner. They met while she was performing as one of the Floral Sisters at the Sea Beach Palace in West Brighton Beach, New York. At that time, he wasn't quite as famous as he would be in the future. They would spend the next 32 years together. Also in 1894, a secret treaty between Russia and France stipulated that Russia would come to the aid of France if France was attacked by Germany. Another stipulation was that, in a possible war against Germany, France would immediately mobilize 1.3 million men, while Russia would mobilize 700 to 800,000. The conflict between Japan and China that occurred in 1894 through 95 marked the emergence of Japan as a major world power and showed the weakness of the Chinese Empire at that time. The war grew out of the tensions between the two countries for supremacy in Korea. In Romania, leaders of the Transylvanian Romanians sent a memorandum to the Austrian Emperor demanding national rights. Those Romanians were found guilty of treason. Back in the U.S., William Kennedy Dixon received a patent for the motion picture film. The New England Telephone and Telegraph Company installed the first battery-operated telephone switchboard in Lexington, Massachusetts. 
Milton S. Hershey created the Hershey Chocolate Company in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Coca-Cola is sold now in bottles for the first time. In New York City, 12,000 tailors went on strike against sweatshop working conditions. Oil is discovered on the Osage Indian Reservation, making the Osage the, quote, richest group of people in the world. So in Italy specifically, Prime Minister Crispy revealed the evidence for a widespread conspiracy in Parliament. The so-called, quote, International Treaty of Bisequino, signed by the French government, the Tsar of Russia, Giuseppe de Felice Giofrida, the anarchists and the Vatican, with the goal to detach Sicily from the rest of the country and put it under Franco-Russian protection. Anarchist Paolo Lega attempted to kill Prime Minister Francesco Crispi, but failed. Crispy was then able to introduce a series of anti-anarchist laws in July of 1894, which were also used against socialists. Heavy penalties were announced for, quote, incitement to class hatred, and police received extended powers of preventive arrest and deportation. So this was the atmosphere that Leonardo was born into. The area of her birth was one of the most remote and backward areas in the south of Italy, a mountainous area with intense earthquakes. And just quickly, I absolutely am in love with the Italian language, but I know I will butcher some of the names, so I'm apologizing ahead of time. Her father was Mariano Cinciulli and her mother, Emilia Dilnofi. Mariano Cinciulli was born in 1853. It was stated he had come from a family of cruel people and they had been very poor. So her father had also been a cruel and aggressive man. Also born in 1853, Amelia Denolfi, it was said, was a beautiful young woman born into what we might consider a very upper middle class Catholic family of some means. According to the book, The Curse by Ryan Green, it was one evening when Amelia was walking home from a nice dinner when Mariano grabbed her, dragged her into a nearby field and sexually assaulted her. Afterwards, due to her religious upbringing and the shame that would have befell her, she told no one of the assault. So a few weeks later, predictably, she discovered she was pregnant. And as we all know, you can only hide it for so long. And soon enough, her family confronted her and she admitted it. They demanded to know who the father was. And she revealed that it was Mariano, though she left out that little detail of his attack on her. Amelia's parents quickly spoke with Mariano's, who said they would ensure their son would, quote, make it right and immediately marry their daughter. So to spare the family the shame of an unwed pregnancy, as that would have been most scandalous for the times and unknowing of the assault, her parents forced her to marry him. 
can you imagine? But you see, this was fairly common, albeit horrible, crude way of getting a wife in this region at that time. The girl would then have no other option but to give up any life she might have envisioned for herself to marry a man who had so intimately and brutally violated her. And then Leonardo was born. The new family settled into a dilapidated, nearly unlivable excuse for a small house in a very bad part of town. The assaults on Amelia continued, and she was also badly beaten by her husband, who was an alcoholic and who also could not seem to hold down a job for any length of time. So they would be evicted from whatever living space they were in and were forced to move pretty often. The first few years of her life were spent surviving off the charity from their local church, thankfully. But her mother's life had changed so very drastically and horrifically that some of her anger spilled over onto Leonarda as a toddler. Amelia would beat her for small infractions and also verbally assault the little girl. To Amelia, her baby girl was the very symbol of her own downfall. Due to her husband's drinking, at times, he wouldn't even bother to come home. The very last time this happened, he was gone for three days. He developed a fever and had fallen into a deep sleep at a drinking buddy's house. But his friends brought him back to Amelia, who had no desire to try to nurse him back to health, and he actually died at home. So, she picked up what little she and Leonardo had and headed back to her own childhood home, but her family would not take her back. Again, her behavior had shamed them, so they returned to where they had been living. Amelia then began leaving her daughter at home alone, far too young to, to fend for herself while she was out drinking and finding new lovers. After about five years, Amelia found a man she actually loved and who did love her back, but he wasn't any more financially stable than Mariano had been. But the genuine affection she had for her new husband made the shame and resentment she felt about Leonardo even worse. Needless to say, her childhood was quite rough. Before she had even reached her teen years, she attempted to end her own life. She attempted to hang herself by her bedsheets, but it was somehow unsuccessful, leaving her unable to speak for a short time due to injuring her larynx. We do know that at the age of 13, she attempted to take her own life again, but this attempt was also unsuccessful. You see, the abuse that she had suffered from her mother, witnessing the abuse her mother had also endured at the hands of her father, on top of the abject poverty she had lived in her entire life, had made her feel that death was the only option. But as she grew into an older teen, she was seen as an attractive young lady, and this made her mother eager to climb the social ranks again. Amelia decided she would try to introduce her daughter to higher society in hopes she might be accepted back into the upper class and maybe even marry quite well. 
Leonardo, however, wasn't exactly on board. And this was her childhood. So let's take a look. So, although rape is profoundly traumatic, relatively little has been said about the lives of children born from it. Psychologist Andrew Solomon wrote in his book, quote, Far from the Tree, children conceived from rape are more likely to suffer from severe psychological disorders, the most common of which are post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety. You see... Research shows that maternal stress severely affects embryological development. After they are born, the children's life doesn't get any easier. Researchers have identified the postpartum period as a significant mental health risk for children born of rape. These children often develop poor parent-child relationships as violent rape can affect maternal capacity to care for the child and to form a loving bond. Researchers report that such circumstances may lead to abusive parenting or neglect, and we most certainly see this with Amelia. Children themselves may also feel responsible for their father's actions, living in guilt and embarrassment, which could be the case with Leonardo. They could also face a harsh social stigma, feeling they're harboring defective genes. And then we have the very crucial mother-infant bond. If that bond isn't established, it can have a very negative effect on the baby's mental health. And then the domestic violence Leonardo witnessed would have also affected her. Domestic violence has a devastating impact on children and young people that can last into adulthood. Children can experience both short and long-term cognitive, behavioral, and emotional effects as a result of witnessing domestic abuse. Their responses to the trauma of witnessing domestic abuse may vary according to a multitude of factors, including, but not limited to, age, race, sex, and stage of development. These responses can include depression and anxiety, sleeping difficulties, nightmares, and flashbacks. They may complain of physical symptoms such as stomach aches and may start to wet the bed. They may become aggressive or they may internalize their distress and withdraw from other people and have low self-esteem. Children may also feel angry, guilty, insecure, alone, frightened, powerless, or confused. They may have ambivalent feelings toward both the abuser and the non-abusing parent. And then we have her two attempts to end her life, both occurring by the time she was only 13 years old. According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the majority of children who make these attempts have a significant mental health disorder, usually depression. Um this episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
Among younger children, these attempts are often impulsive. They may be associated with feelings of sadness, confusion, anger, or problems with attention and hyperactivity. Among teenagers, suicide attempts may be associated with feelings of stress, self-doubt, pressure to succeed, financial uncertainty, disappointment, and loss. For some teens, suicide may appear to be a solution to their problems. Aside from depression, other risk factors include a family history of trying to end one's life, exposure to violence, impulsivity, aggressive or disruptive behavior, bullying, acute loss, or rejection. They often show frequent or pervasive sadness and have a preoccupation with death and dying. So, her father was a rapist and one would assume her mother let her know about it and then reminded her of that fact out of anger and frustration. Amelia herself took her anger about her situation out on her daughter and then we know Leonarda witnessed her father severely abusing her mother and then the two attempts at taking her own life. What could possibly go wrong? So let's continue. Amelia wanted to cash in on her daughter's beauty to attempt to get back into society's good graces by trying to find her an upper-class husband. But in 1917, 23-year-old Leonarda met a man named Raphael Pansardi, who worked as a registry office clerk and fell madly in love. She wanted to marry for love, not social standing as her mother had intended. And sources say her mother had already had someone in mind for her when Leonarda announced she and Raphael were to be married. Her mother was livid. Both Amelia and her stepfather were emphatically against the engagement and impending marriage. But Leonardo married Raphael without her parents' consent, and it was said that, on her wedding day, her own mother placed a curse on her. She told her daughter that all of her future children would be born dead. And during this time, speaking outwardly a curse like that was not only bad form, but also believed. During this time, it was said that if she became too emotional, quote-unquote, she would have fits and seizures. It is likely that she suffered from epilepsy, but was never officially diagnosed. Her mother's curse always in the back of her mind. She also decided to visit a Romani fortune teller palm reader that was a part of a traveling carnival. The gypsy looked at her hands and wove quite the tale of how Leonarda would indeed have a life full of woes, including the fact that she would outlive all of her children. This obviously reinforced the curse she believed her mother had put on her, and she was completely devastated. And then, in 1920, after only being married for three short years, she discovered she was pregnant, and even though she did all that she could to protect the pregnancy, she suffered a miscarriage. The loss was unbearable. 
The next year, in 1921, Leonarda and her husband moved to Raphael's hometown of Loria, Potenza. She was hoping to put as much distance as she could between her mother and herself to hopefully break the curse. The young couple took jobs where they could, but her seizures meant that she had a very difficult time maintaining any real gainful employment. But they were still able to purchase a small house, and life did appear to smooth out for a while. She found a modicum of peace being distanced from her mother, and side note, same. And after a bit, they decided that they would try to have another child. The next year, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy they named Giuseppe. It would seem that she had, in fact, broken her mother's curse, and she threw herself into motherhood. She loved her son more than her own life, and she spoiled him as much as she could, giving him all the love and attention she had never known from her own mother. Once she was able, they immediately began trying for more children. Unfortunately, she would either miscarry or the babies would be born and die at birth or during toddlerhood. Then in 1927, Leonardo was arrested, charged, and convicted of fraud. She had been working part-time as a cleaner in a bank. She became desperate for money when one of her infants or toddlers would become ill and she would need to have a doctor to visit. So, she created a fake account with a decent amount of money in it. When she went to close the account, the police were waiting. She was sent to a church reformatory, common in Italy at the time for women, for 18 months, then released to her husband. But her conviction had cost him his job, and there was no help from his family because her actions had shamed the entire family. However, the family did manage to get a small amount of money together for the couple with the stipulation that they would take it and move away and take their shame with them. They moved on to the farming community of Lacedonia. She continued to try to have children and continued to have her heart completely broken. In all, over her life, she had a total of 17 pregnancies and only four children survived. Giuseppe, Bernardo, Biagio, and Norma. She was left with a total of three miscarriages and 10 babies and children who died. During those painful years, she repeatedly visited Romani fortune tellers who rarely ever gave her any good news. One told her that she would wind up in a mental asylum, which were horribly cruel places in Italy at that time. So she began collecting fortune-telling books and quite literally built her own library on the subject, effectively teaching herself how to as a way of trying desperately to break her mother's curse. It seemed to have been effective, at least for her, because she had two of her four surviving children during this time. And also, after only living in Lacedonia for three years, a devastating 6.6 .6 magnitude earthquake hit the area. 
It was during their important harvest season. People from the town had gathered and were camping out near the fields as they always did to help with the harvest of the crops. There had been two warning shocks, then the main earthquake, followed by a whopping 16 aftershocks just in the first 24 hours. About seven out of 10 homes were almost or completely destroyed, Leonardo and Raphael's included. The earthquake took over 1,400 lives and injured a further 7,000 people. To Leonardo, she was convinced it was a sign that her mother's curse over her was getting stronger. The family were forced to pull up stakes and move to Correggio. To their surprise and relief, they were happily taken into the fold of the community as refugees from the devastation of the earthquake. They were able to rent a small but adequate house and they both worked and were able to actually save a bit of money. Sources say she even began to write a bit of poetry and she would read at social gatherings and she would get standing ovations. She also would use her art for fortune-telling to wow the audiences. As the four surviving children grew up and started to think about what lives they would build, she was again finding a level of peace. Sources varied as to exactly when this happened, but apparently her husband was a drinker, an alcoholic actually, and he got to the point where he couldn't hold a job. Eventually, Leonardo got sick of his shit, quite frankly, and kicked him out. Their marriage hadn't been a harmonious one as it was. So Leonardo began cleaning up an old store that was attached to their home and opened it up as a soap store, and it became one of the most popular in the local area. And as word spread, it was said that people would travel some distance to come buy her soaps, and they made enough money that the family was living pretty comfortably. It was said that she also began to buy and sell used clothing. People would come to her to have their fortunes told. And if the Romani gypsies happened to be passing through, they and Leonardo would get together and they would give her presents and books and trade treasures to get her soaps. As she studied and amassed her huge library of all things occult and reading tarot cards, she began studying folk magic and worshiping old Roman Empire spirits. Sources say she was practicing not completely unlike Haitian voodoo. She taught herself all about herbs and remedies and would help women who had, you know, unwanted pregnancies. This turned into performing protection spells for profit, though she was sincere in her craft. And then... Just like that, in 1939, World War II began. She was 45 years old. Germany invaded Poland. The UK responded by telling Germany to immediately stop or else. This, of course, was ignored, and Britain and France declared war, soon following with Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and Canada. Italy's dictator, Benito Mussolini, 
knew Italy was not prepared for a long war and hesitated to join, but his pride ultimately won out and he pulled Italy in. Leonardo's firstborn, her beloved Giuseppe, went off to join the army and fight. He had always somewhat resented his mother's smothering of him, and this was a way to get a bit of freedom. Needless to say, she was not happy to hear the news. After all, he had beat her mother's curse, the first child to survive it, and she was convinced he would die during war, fulfilling the curse. So she decided to create the ultimate protection spell. She studied constantly, which turned into a bit of a mania to the point that she began to neglect more important things like cooking and cleaning. Books and various odd items were scattered all about the house. And though she tried to find an alternative, she felt that the only way she could save her son's life, it would mean the sacrifice of another life. And what better way to cover an entire body with the most potent and strong protection spell than through soap? But she had to get the spell inside of the body of the life that it would cost. So, a woman by the name of Faustina Setti soon visited Leonardo, wanting help to find a husband. Faustina was, by this point, considered a long-time spinster. This seemed perfect for Leonardo, a woman who had no children, no husband, and she told her that she knew of a man in another town that would be suitable, but warned her to tell no one. She advised Faustina to write letters to her family and friends that would be mailed out once she reached the town, letting them know that she was safe and sound. Faustina paid her a rather hefty sum for her services. Faustina left, but when she returned shortly before she was to leave, Leonardo offered her some wine that she had drugged. Once Faustina was out, Leonardo killed her with an axe and placed the body in a closet. There, she dismembered the body, nine parts to be exact, and kept collected blood in a basin. Here is from her later official statement. Quote, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. End quote. However, much to Leonardo's dismay, the fat mixture had not worked to become workable soap and she had to discard it. So she had protected her son internally with the food, but not outwardly with the soap. Still with me? Soon after, Francesca Sovi 
paid a visit to Leonarda to help her find a job. She told her visitor that she knew of a job in a neighboring city at a girls' school. She convinced her as well to write to friends and family what her plans were, and just as Faustina had, Francesca visited her friend before her departure, was poisoned, murdered with the axe, dismembered, and processed for soap. But because Francesca had been a woman of a certain age, Leonardo convinced herself that she hadn't enough life left to appease God to save Giuseppe's young life. She decided mm, four lives lost might be enough. Her next victim was a woman named Virginia who came to her wanting her help to find a job. She met the same fate as the first two women, Leonardo later said. Quote, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. End quote. However, Virginia's sister, who was also apparently an opera singer, had seen Virginia enter Leonardo's house, and that was the last time she had seen her. She became rather worried and decided to contact the police. An investigation was opened, and it didn't take long for them to discover that two other women were also missing who had had recent and intimate dealings with the soap maker. Soon, Leonardo was under arrest. They brought her in for questioning, and she denied everything until they began saying her beloved eldest son must have been involved as well. She finally fully confessed to the murders, giving them every little detail of how she had killed the women and used their remains to make cakes and soap. She also stated that she, quote, gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off of the kettles, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. End quote. And it was true that Italy was crippled greatly during the war. This trial captivated as well as horrified everyone. Ultimately, Leonardo was found guilty of three counts of murder and was sentenced to 30 years in prison as well as three years in a criminal asylum, as had been predicted. She died of cerebral apoplexy, which is basically like a stroke, in a women's criminal asylum in October 1970. She was 76 years old. A number of artifacts from the case, including the pot in which the victims were boiled, are on display at the Criminological Museum in Rome. Vittima della superstizione, spinta da un morboso ed aberrante amore materno, Leonardo Cianciulli ha ucciso. Credeva così di placare gli spiriti maligni che dovevano, secondo la profezia di una fattucchiera, ucciderle i figli. La legge mi ha condannato. E che mi importa della sua condanna? Trent'anni l'ergastolo in fucilazione. Ma che mi interessa a me? Dice sette figli. Ah, che 
padri miei, se anche a voi moriranno 16 figli, non solo faresti ciò che ho fatto io, una, so una madre solo può comprendermi, la legge mai, forse la scienza mi ha compreso. So, in her case, Leonardo was conceived in violence, was witness to domestic violence, and her mother physically and mentally abused her growing up. She apparently had epilepsy, though I couldn't find if she actually suffered with it throughout her entire life, and was consumed with superstition after she believed her mother cursed her. But who can blame her? Seventeen pregnancies, and only four made it past younger childhood? She wanted those babies so badly, it's no wonder she didn't snap long before her eldest told her that he was going to have to go off to war. What I see is a woman who actually survived a horrible and poverty-stricken childhood who had been through so much that she absolutely could not handle losing another child. Of course, murdering three women to make food and soap certainly was the wrong answer. And yet, she fascinates me somewhat. I wish there were more information out there about her and how her four children have lived since. So tell me, guys, what do you think? You can leave me a comment below. All of my contact information is in the notes or the description box below. Please feel free to join Patreon if you would like to, to support my work so that I can bring you guys more. But most importantly, thank you so much, guys, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys, and have a great day.